Today, I'm joined by a man with over 30 years of experience in the production business. His team has received numerous awards for the production excellence, and he's one of the creators of popular films such as Attack of the Killer Refrigerator, The Hook of Woodland Heights, and the award-winning Days Before Christmas. He's one half of the powers that be behind Media House Films. He is Mike Savino, and this... Slasher Sports Cinema. I'm here to kill you. I am Dracula. You say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for? Not for shedding. Six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. Mike Savino, welcome. Thank you, Billy. Thanks for being here. I apologize for Mark not being here. He's at another hey, place. Hey, listen. But... No, it's all good. If we see him pop in, we're gonna drag him in here. We're gonna oh, uh, we're gonna scold Mark, him real good. Mark is definitely my other half in this project. You know, the killer refrigerator and all our films. He has been there since day one, and uh, we have a great little writing team going on. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. I mean, I, I could probably get into that a little bit later because, like, before we before we went live, we were talking some fun sports stories, and you know, <laughs> it's, slasher sports is, uh, you know, that that's our other half. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the other half of the the slasher is the sports, and you know, you're from you're from Boston, or at least in Boston, and you have right. been for a very long time. So, I mean, a storied sports city. Uh, it is, and. Uh, uh, Patriots, Celtics, Bruins, uh, Red Sox. How, I mean, is is there a more, I guess, uh, a more valued set of teams in one city? I don't know. I, you know, we've done. You know, you look at all the cities seem to be pulling it out lately. You know, but we definitely have been lucky to have some great sports teams, and it is just definitely fun to be a, a Boston fan of any sport. You know, even our Revolution soccer team is is uh fun to watch you know i've been getting into arena football lately too uh i've been doing camera work on some of the games for the massachusetts pirates and i love it it is a fun little sport if you can check it out i think we play the nashville team um i'm trying to think of the team but we we, they have teams coming from all over the states uh, yeah, do we still have a team the the nashville cats i don't even know if they're still a team trying to think they're um I maybe it was last year, but boy, it's a fun little sport. We get a nice little crowd, and the play is fast. And uh, but I that's been uh, that's been my my thing lately. You know, I get to watch it on our sports network. You know, you know, the, uh, four or five days later, because they'll rebroadcast. I can see all my mistakes. You know, it, I mean, it's uh, fast paced. I mean, you've got the the smaller field. It looks like they'll throw the ball a mile, and it's like a forty yard pass. It's um, crazy. I mean, I, 
slamming into the walls and you know fought, we had this one guy literally dive over the wall landing full flat on the cement of the floor i mean that it was a heavy hit i don't know how he got up but he did it's not for me no yeah, it's, 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 a, it's it's cement you know cement's not for me no the, the floor itself is pretty nice it's a thick pad so when you walk on it, it's kind of spongy but you know they dive you know they'll dive for the catch and it's great and then any of the fans the ball goes into into the stands. Guess what? It's your ball. It is. Yeah, that's that's the really cool thing about it, man. It's like uh, it, it's a different atmosphere. It's almost like a hockey atmosphere at a football game. They got cheerleaders, live bands. They have all kinds of like we're the Bass Pirates. So everybody, well, not everybody, a lot of groups will dress up as pirates, and you know, um, it's a fun. I like it. But we, we were talking about. Funny- you had some funny stories, man. Um, oh. Yeah, I had the, the Boston Celtics in mind because you know they're in the, the 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 East Coast Finals or the Eastern Conference Finals right now, about to get bounced if they're not lucky. And right. uh, you know, that, that, I'm just trying to hold on to some some semblance of positivity with them. And uh, they're, they're letting me down once again in the in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. But man, I love that team. But the team that I really loved was back in the the late '80s and. Uh, you, you got to spend a little time in their locker room. I did. We had a, you know, I, back in the eighties, I worked for a cable company and my job was to create programming. So whatever I, I, and it was basically whatever I wanted to do, whatever interests me. So, you know, I would do programs on skiing. I would do programs on the beaches of New England. I, I would do uh, this magazine show where I could basically cover anything. So I wanted to go spend some time in a hot tub. I did a little story about a hot tub guy. He would toss me some freebies, you know. Uh, but this particular one, we uh, was I think it was actually during the 86 back-to-back. They uh, they won in 85, right? Um, or uh, there was a great team. It was Actually, it was in 80. I believe it was 86. Uh, Larry Bird, Mikhail, I'm in the locker room. You know, we're doing my story. I got tickets to go, you know, shoot a story for my local channel. So I got an interview with Casey Jones and, uh, you know, ran around the whole Boston Garden shooting different things. But at the end of the game, went into the locker room. I'm going to grab some player reactions and stuff. Um, I'm in there and first time ever in a professional locker room. And everybody is literally walking around naked. I was shocked. I mean, you know. I've never really been in a locker room. So I'm holding my camera. I got Parrish over here. He's just sort of sitting there and hanging there. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, female newscasters running around. I'm I'm like, how did they, you know, Danny Ainge comes out of the shower, struts right by. I had, you know, I got the, I don't know if I still had the footage of it because he broke the shot of the interview with Larry Bird. And I just couldn't get over how... They didn't care. And I guess that was how it is, you know, after every game, you know, you want to get out, you know, if it it requires taking a shower, then you do that. You know, this is my place. I guess this is our house. So I'm going to do what I want. But I I was shocked. I was shocked. I was, you know, because. Well, if you were hanging there like Parrish, I mean, wouldn't you want to walk around a little bit just to give people the idea? (laughs) I, I was, I couldn't get over. And then, you know, you got the girls and they're trying to keep their, they're, they're looking straight up, you know, they're like staring yeah. at the player right in the eyeballs. They're not going and, you know, and I haven't, I still have the piece. I'll have to put it onto my, uh, I'll put it onto our um, LinkedIn page. Uh, I have a, 
my, my personal LinkedIn page, I could put it on there. And it's a pretty cool little segment, you know, shot with a camera that weighed like 35 pounds, you know, and oh, yeah. with, with batteries and oh, it was back yeah. in the 80s, different time, but everything was heavier back then. It was a lot heavier, but I had a Nothing lot of compact. I had a lot of great time doing that stuff, you know, working with different celebrities, sports celebrities in particular. I've worked, I had a furniture uh, store in Rotman's Furniture in Worcester and Part of his uh, commercial run was to hire a sports celebrity, have him be the spokesperson for the store. And um, back in the first time we ever did it, I came up with the team, a commercial that incorporated all of his taglines. And it was kind of humorous. You know, we didn't really want to sell furniture. So we basically put him in a situation like, for example, Adam Oates was on the ice and he's shooting the puck at the goalie, you know, and he's just rapid fire, boom, boom, boom. And then his little friend comes over. Hey, Adam, I heard you got new furniture. And he would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Rotman's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Keep shooting the puck. Uh, the dial would go on and he'd really hit the last puck. We'd follow it through the air in a primitive special effect back then and um, hit the goalie's glove. Little powder shoots off and the. Uh, ripped off the mask and it was the owner of the furniture store, you know, and he had his own oh. tagline, which was kind of funny. So we replicated that in many different ways. One of the funniest ones though, we worked with Anton Walker, who was playing for the Celtics at the time, Shea yeah. Hillenbrand, who was on the Red Sox at the time. And they were all in their prime. Cause that's what we wanted. And I have a great story about Brady too, but um, we're out in the golf course and we did this funny thing off of uh, Caddyshack. We, we basically took all of the Caddyshack bits and made commercials out of them. So at one point we had the owner of the furniture surround uh, furniture store surrounded by Shea Hillenbrand and Tom Walker. They're walking in group of people up on the deck and, and the owner goes, Hey everybody. And they look over and he goes, we're all getting new furniture, you know, like, if you remember in Caddyshack, he goes, we're all getting laid, you know, it's, <laughs> and we, we kind of took that and tweaked it. And we had the shot with the gopher coming out. I got this little puppet. And that's um, not safe for work for a furniture store. <laughs> oh, we did. Oh, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff we did. Um, it was pretty funny. And the, the celebrities were great. Um, the Adam Oates party. We, so we shoot this thing with Adam Oates. It was a two day shoot because we had a whole bunch of different scenes. The big thing was uh, I wanted him in jean, uh, overalls with a donkey, right, for one of the shots. Okay. And um, I'm talking to the manager, and he's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get Adam Oates in an overall. I go, what about the donkey? He goes, yeah, he'll probably do the donkey. <laughs> you know, but um, he ended up wearing the overalls. He was really a great guy, did anything we asked. And it was so funny because everybody that I talked to who worked with him or they say they worked with them. We're saying how sure. difficult it was. And it was totally opposite. I mean, we had such a great time shooting. He invited the whole crew up to his house to a party, which every Bruin was there. I mean, Bork, Mc, uh, Cam Neely and Adam and Joey Juno at the time and a whole bunch. Of, I mean, every Bruin, everyone. And it was the lead to say it was a party to remember. Um it was, do you, you know, it's, I'm surprised you remember it because we're, a little bird told me that you were freaking hammered. I was. Yeah, it was bad. Um, 
I got reminded of some of the things that went on, and there you it go. was not pretty. Adam actually called me the next day, and he says, hey, I broke my house. I'm like, what? He's like, there's a crack in my foundation from all the people jumping in his great room during this, you know, party time. And it was, oh, yeah, it was it was pretty ugly. My wife was my girlfriend at the time, and uh, she was not pleased with me. That's all I can say. Well, she's but, still uh, around, so I mean, yeah, she's still here. We're still together. Thank yeah, goodness. Yeah. So, they, yeah. But it was fun. We had a lot of good times. You know, I've I've, I've had a lot of interesting. Um, one of the most heartfelt times um, that really gets me was I was working with this car dealer in town, and he was good friends with Dwight Evans, and we shot a bunch of different things with Dwight, and he was such a great guy. Um, did anything we asked. And this one particular time, now my uncle, who lived in Virginia, was a huge Red Sox fan, loved Dwight Evans, loved the Red Sox of that period, you know, and um, but in, in particularly loved Dwight Evans. And so I had this bright idea. He comes into the studio like, hey, Dwight, would you do me a favor? He's like, what, Mike, what? Because he, he knew me by now because we've worked together a few times. I go, my uncle is the biggest fan. If I got him on the phone, would you say hi? He goes, absolutely. So. I literally dialed his number. He answered. I handed him the phone and he said, hey, Doug, this is Dwight Evans. And my uncle, like he told me, he almost dropped dead, made his life, talked about it for the rest of his life. And it was a great, you know, it's it's great experience, you know, to do that. And uh, so it's been fun, you know, working in that field, you know, and that's sort of how. I got it. Well, the, the fridge was made during college, but in the periods between all the movies, that's sort of how I paid the bills was to do freelance video work. And I did a ton of it in, in areas that I like to work in. You know, I did a lot of cooking right. shows because I did cooking for a while and I've worked on a bunch of HGTV shows, you know, um, because that was a big thing. And they did a lot of shooting in Boston. So I was on a bunch of shows called Kitchen Design and Bed and Bath. And it was a lot of fun. You know, I got to see some really expensive homes. Homes. Well, you know, it's like, had... listen, th there's a record company called Roadrunner Records. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they, 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 they got some of the, the heaviest metal bands out there, but they've also got Nickelback. Okay. Right. Sometimes you just got to have your cash cow. And, right. and, and that's, that's the point. You know, you, you, you make money when you can and have fun when you can. And hopefully one day the fun starts to outweigh the, the, the work. You know? And that's where, you know, you, you talk about even like within sports and stuff, you know, you think about some of the people that I've worked with, like Adam and and even well, I saw it's funny because Dwight just showed up on a commercial locally here. Um, but you look at all these guys that there, there were some guys that took attitudes, you know, and wouldn't work with you. And you spent tons of money to have a crew stand around on a baseball field that you have four hours to shoot. And they took two hours it because they decided they're going to write the script at the next minute, which we totally <laughs> didn't do, you know. And there were two Red Sox guys. I'm not making any names, but they're one of them is a is a major award winner. I think he got a no hitter, and uh, so you can figure it out that way. And um, not with the Red Sox though. And oh, damn, see? <laughs> see, here I was thinking, you know, uh, PJ Martinez was going to yeah, no, 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 right into not the him. show. He, he was, um, he's ruined. actually really a good guy, I hear. I didn't work with him, but I know guys who have, and they say he's really a good guy. My brother is also, he's a sound guy. He works at Gillette Stadium, and he works with the um, the alumni section. So 
every game, the room is filled with alumni football players. And he is in charge of, you know, their presentations or whatever they're talking about at the time. So they have an agenda. So he uh, he's worked with Pedro a bunch of times, but it's uh, it's it's definitely been interesting. But in this particular part with the with the other players, you know, they just really wanted to cop an attitude. And like I said, it was at one point I walked over to the client and I said, if I blow this deal, you're going to be mad at me. He goes, no, I think it's time to. So I walk over to the agent. I said, get your boys on the field or the deal's off. And uh, she went over and she talked to him. And the next thing I know, they're on the field. And uh, tough talking Savino. You don't you don't just tell Mike Savino. No, no, it's not even that. It got to a point where it was ridiculous because one, they wanted to change the script that we've gone through for months. You know, it probably been vetted already as well. And it wasn't like they just got it that day. (laughs) You know, this has been back and forth, back and forth for months with the agents and, you know, who knows what happens. And then they were supposed to bring everything that they needed to be on the field and play. And um, they didn't have gloves. They didn't bring, they wouldn't wear the pants I was going to provide because they didn't have the right underwear. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was crazy. I ended up having to shoot them in a medium shot because they agreed to wear the shirt. I couldn't use a Bruins, a Boston shirt because we didn't pay for the Boston logo. So I think we put, um, I, I forgot what we put. We put, I think it might say Rotman's on the front, the store name, okay. or it may have said, it may have said Boston, but it wasn't the Boston logo. I'll have to go back and look at the commercial. But anyway, I had to shoot them in a medium shot the whole commercial because they didn't have the pants on. And they wouldn't put hats on, which is fine. I didn't, wasn't too concerned about the hat. Um, and um, came out okay. It, it was good, but it just took, it was just crazy. It's one of the craziest times where I had to use some force. And put it all in line because think about it. I had a six thousand dollar crew sitting there. They were ten grand a piece, twenty grand, just for them to be spokespeople. And they're the bottleneck. Plus the months of work that was put into it, you know, to get the scripts and all the, you know, get the ball field. I couldn't shoot at Fenway. I had to go up to the Lowell Spinners minor league field. So there was a lot on the line and I just, it got to a point where I just, like I said, I walked over to the client. I said, if I blow the deal, you're going to hate me. Nope. Do what you got to do. And they played it and it came out and we just made it because we only had a four hour window before the minor league team was coming back on the field. So it's, you know, a lot of stress. Well, let's, <laughs> let's talk about like when, when stress, the stress began. Okay. Let's talk about your natural progression here. Media House Films. Tell, tell me about Media House Films. Well, Media House Films was started by my partner, Mark Vo. Um, we went to Worcester State College in Worcester, Mass., and we met there. I was uh, interested in television. He was interested in radio. Um, we met, actually, in a computer class, of all places. Um, he became the president of the, or the general manager of the radio station. I became the general manager of the TV station. And we were doing things together. We would do what we would call simulcast. So we would have the radio on with the audio, and then they could watch our TV show in the dorms and throughout campus on the closed circuit TV station. So we would do simulcast, you know, dating games and uh, ticket giveaways. We would do trivia contests. We would um 
come down in your pajamas and get tickets. And this goes back to the time where, you know, college radio still is really big. So we got tickets to every event that came into our town. So we had tickets to like old groups like Frank Zappa and George Carlin and Blue Oyster Cult and Mm. Steppenwolf and George Carlin and um, many other groups in that era, you know, it was the mid eighties or early eighties. And then um, we also got tickets to clubs in town that were really big into dance and, and stuff. We had a group club called the Metro, which was really cutting edge for its time. Lots of video screens, lots of crazy lights. Uh, they had a big one in Boston and they had a sister sister club in, in Worcester. So we would get tickets to this and we would just give them away, literally. Um, come on down. Here's tickets to Zappa. And I, you know, we, I saw Zappa, I saw all the shows cause we, we had tickets and it was a lot of fun to be in college radio. So Mark and I met that way, you know, just having fun doing little programming. And then, um, the budget year came around for the TV station and I got my, I think I was getting like $418 and that was supposed to buy tape stock to shoot events around the campus, um, and any programming that we could afford, you know, right. to play on the TV. Uh, I ended up when I would go away summer vacation down to the Jersey Shore, they had MTV. So I would record MTV onto a VHS tape because I'd bring a recorder and um, I would record days of, of, it, of music videos to bring back to the college for the fall so that we had some kind of programming in between, you know. But we also created these crazy movies. So um mark and i we met we hung out for a while then we ended up getting an apartment together off campus and when we did that we had a little bit more freedom um i bought a two-piece camera and vh vcr recorder um still i think i still have it at my mom's house um and we would shoot stuff every day whether it was moldy bread and we would narrate it and we would make little skits that we could play back on the TV station at night, you know, mainly to amuse our friends. Um, And we had a bar on campus called the moat where it was a full service bar. You know, they, they were very popular. Every car, every college had one, even the Holy cross college and all the Catholic colleges that we have up here. Um, They all had, you guys were underage. You weren't drinking underage. Were you? Uh, No, no, we weren't underage because back Lincoln age was 18. Um, And then it went to 19 and then it went to 20 and it went to 21. So we kind of followed that progression, you know? So by the time it was like when we were in college, I think it was like 20, you know? So it was lower than 18, but they did it gradually for people that, were on that, you know, legal to drink like me. I was legal to drink at 18. And then they said, well, we can't take it away from you, you know, and I agreed. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So, they, so I, I wondered how that overlap, I was yeah. going to ask, were you, were you turning 19 when they, before they bumped it up to 19 or were you 18 when they bumped it up to 19? And so they said that, uh, well, you're 18. They didn't say, well, you're 18. That means you can't drink anymore. You got to wait no. till next year. No, they said, well, once you've had it, you can always have it. Yeah, well, that's what they did. They took my year, which was at the time, you know, they took that year and they said, okay, then the next year it went to 19. Then the next year it went. So as I turned, it got higher and higher. So then once it got to 21, 
that was it. Everybody had to be 21, you know? And if you weren't 18 or 19 at the time, you had to wait till 20, well, to the age that it was, but you'd never make it. You know what I mean? Of because course. Every year it would go up. So they did that for a few years and it was pretty simple. And, um, but all the, like I said, and it was at that point when I left college, it was probably about four years after that, they got rid of the bars. There's nothing there anymore. They're, they're pretty, all the campuses are dry. I don't know about the South, but at least uh, ours are up here in Massachusetts. So we would create this programming and we came up with this idea one night. Um, well, it wasn't even that we would, we, during the programming, the refrigerator would turn on and we had this small little kitchen and we'd sit here and the refrigerator was there and it would turn on and it would be like, jugga, 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 jugga. I mean, it was loud. It would vibrate. And, um, you know, after a few Budweiser's, we were start, oh my gosh, it's the killer refrigerator. It's killing us, you know? Um, and that basically is what we called it. Um, and then one night, you know, we would have parties and I had, we had a toga party. We had all kinds of, you know, Halloween parties and many different types of, you know, St. Patrick's Day party and this party. Well, this particular night we had a defrosting party, we called it, where we had uh, our refrigerator had about this much ice and it was just enough room to put a little bit of milk in it. <laughs> and uh, we had a big party. Everybody showed up and night was going to defrost the refrigerator. And I just, you know, I videotaped it like I normally did. And that's what they did. They defrosted the refrigerator. Um, a little while later, you know, to sat on the shelf, we decided to um, think about how we could make a killer refrigerator movie. And I also had an editing class that I needed to complete. So I needed something to edit. And um, so I just said, hey, let's create this killer fridge movie. We'll use, you know, the sword guy, you know, where Mark does the nude scene in the movie. That was all for a different movie. That was this killer sword guy. We had this, uh, Mark found this Knights of Columbus sword from his father or something. And, you know, those things were huge and they're like yeah. swords. So he said, hey, let's make a you know, killer sword movie. So we had shots of it, you know, going through the house and, stabbing you know and stuff like that but we also shot the setup scenes where mark and his girlfriend were there they were getting romantic they were playing around you know um mark wanted to do this nude scene so boom there it goes <laughs> and um she the girl wanted to do a nude scene too but i wouldn't let her because i knew it was going to run on the college campus mark's butt we can get away with christine's sure. voluptuous body i don't think we could have gotten away with um without much you know to do back then today probably could have done it but back then it was kind of hard you know you would have been porn and that would have been yeah it. Been... that that's a that's a very good point it is crazy how times have changed because you know you they used to think that we were a lot more i guess you know liberal back then i during during that time frame but maybe not so much maybe not so much no um, think about what happened with even music with Tipper Gore, you know, and I, I'll be honest, when they decided they're going to put ratings on music, I was totally against it. I was like, no way, don't rate the music. Why are you going to rate the music? And I appreciated it once I started to work around my kids and doing like I did some DJing for them at one point when they were small. Holy smoke. Thank goodness. Because the music today, they would come up, hey, play the song McMahon, you know, and I'd look at it and Oh, there's a little E next to it. I'm like, yes, no, I can't play that one because I knew what that meant, you know, and 
as much as I despised Tipper Gore at the time, I kind of thanked her now, <laughs> you know, because she was the True. one who kind of put the labels on, you know, she was, that was her big thing. Um, but yeah, so, so the killer fridge was basically Frankenstein together and it, and it, and we made it for the TV station and to show our friends and make a laugh of it, you know, um, it was never supposed to go on to a VHS distribution, no, never in our wildest dreams. The only way that sort of came about was through um, a bunch of guys locally. They saw, we again, they were at the bar that we had on campus. We premiered the killer refrigerator. And uh, a little bit after, one of the owners or a guy came up to me. He says, hey, I own Video King. I'd like to put it in your in my store give me i want to buy like you know five copies so i'm like okay so mark and i created these cool little boxes and there's only a few of them left but um we basically photocopied uh, some artwork and we colored it in by hand and we put a little plastic on it and that was the distribution copies the first ones uh that went out to video king and from then there was a little article in a in a newspaper about it and a Boston TV station reporter on arts and entertainment read it and picked it up and um, called us. And the next thing you know, we're driving into Boston to uh, be interviewed. And from then it sort of snowballed, you know, more people wanted to see it. So we had a little bit of a distribution network that grew. Um, and then I went out to, to this video show in Vegas where they would, basically show all their latest stuff. Here's my latest copies. And it would be star laden, you know, both in normal stars and in the porn industry, which was pretty cool too. I got them meet some crazy porn stars of the day, which, you know, were kind of like actors. I mean, everybody knew their names, you know, Marilyn Chambers and Seika and all these other people that if you watched any kind of video back in the day, you probably rented that type of content. I, I used to work in a store. I know many people that did with a lot of women because they would bring the tapes in, you know, Hey, what do you recommend? Oh, I can recommend a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. They used to literally say that to me. Hey, what do you recommend for the porn department? Hey, have you seen this? It's good. It's got a little story. Got a little, uh, bum, 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 percentage. it was fun though. I, my buddies always say, Hey, did anybody ever come on to you? I'm like, no, I never really, but I wouldn't let them because I was more interested in just, you know, doing the job and getting out and making more movies. That was what we, yeah. Wanted, you know, yeah. Then, yeah. Women you know, could wait. But then, you know, that's when it did. We went out to the Vegas show. I met a guy, Michael Schul from uh, uh, Donna Michelle productions. He had these really B horror movies that he produced and went out and uh, we, we got a little deal with him and it included this other movie that we made at the time called the hook of Woodland Heights. That sort of came a little bit after, um, Mark and I did a little bit better job. I think, you know, we had a script, we had some storyboards. Um, we had more than a few days to shoot it. We literally took like 14 days to shoot the thing. Um, it's only 45 minutes, but it has a lot of time. And it was done back in the day where it was all tape based. So to, yeah, uh, the, the, the original packaging, like had your, your short film, uh, yep. bundled with the hook of woodland heights yep. uh, a, a theme song music video and like some yep. behind the scenes stuff yep. you have that right yeah it did it had a documentary from uh, a couple interns where i worked you know we always brought in interns and uh, i still worked at the cable company at that time and they were like hey we want to do a documentary on your premiere and i'm like hey sure so you know 
give them the cameras and off they went. And they produced this pretty cool little documentary on the premiere, you know, and a little bit about the behind the scenes. And I gave them access to any of the footage that they needed. And they, I commend them. They did a great job. And that was also included because we needed to fill the tape up because the fridge was only, you know, I think it's 14 minutes, you know, so right. we needed more content. A 14 minute movie wasn't going to be a $2 rental or a $1.50 rental. I think there were $2 back then. Sure, um, almost almost anthology type. But usually, there's a theme within those anthologies. But rarest.org has the film, right? I guess the, the the VHS listed at number ten for the rarest v for rarest VHS tapes of all time. Number ten. How like how wild a piece of trivia is that? But that like is crazy. people, yeah, people pay up for these t- types of tapes at auctions. Uh, yeah, what's no, the, what's uh, the most you've ever seen this one go for? Over two grand. 2100 yeah if you look um into ebay if you go to the sold there's one on there that it doesn't quite give the listing but i did hear that it was like 2100 i mean i was ha- i was shocked when it sold for 30 dollars back in the day if you if you go on the blu-ray dvd at terrorvision.com you know their their blu-ray on that Blu-ray has a director commentary from Mark and I from back in the 90s when we um, first put out our, our first DVD. Um, when DVDs first came out, I needed to learn how to create a DVD and program it and you know do all the artwork because my clients wanted that type of thing back then. So I used the killer fridge in all of our films as basically a demo. Um, and if you have one of those copies, that's pretty cool because it has a lot of interesting Easter eggs. But um, on that DVD and on the Blu-ray, by the way, there's this um, director commentary. And it's uh, kind of interesting to see that we're talking about it going for $30 back then. And now it's going for, you know, regularly over over 1400 I have a couple saved screenshots. That I think there's one on our website. It's twelve ninety five, but I have a couple other ones that are even more. So it's kind of strange. I mean, I have a bunch of boxes. I don't have a complete set. I have boxes, but I don't have tapes. Um, Mark and I got. I think the distributor gave us two cases of tapes back in the day, and okay. we basically gave them out to all the cast. You know, everybody that was in the movie or did something. Here was your thank you, thank you. You know. So um, hopefully they still have those tapes. But I was shocked. I couldn't get over it. You know, um, it is something that's kind of cool. And then there's Mojo.com or WatchMojo.com has it at number seven for most killer inanimate objects. But the weirdest (laughs) things we are compared with all these 25, you know, million dollar movies. And ours is made for 25 bucks. You know, so it's kind of cool. And they put together a really nice trailer. I was shocked. They they took some of the movie and they cut it into a little, oh, you know, watch Mojo. Here is this, blah, 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 killer refrigerator, you know. And it's kind of neat. They did a neat job with it. And then well, even you know, as rare as it is, like Attack of the Killer Refrigerator has reviews from Fangoria, Variety, uh, some other mainstream horror mags. I mean, that had to feel pretty great to have like such a tongue-in-cheek project like you had uh, that was for a fraction of the possible viewing audience get, get such attention from like the who's who of horror mags. 
if you told me I was going to be talking about this like almost 40 years later, I would have said <laughs> you were crazy. You know? But, if you told me I was going to be talking about this yeah, film, I know. Uh, a, a month ago, I would have said you were crazy, sir. I, if I knew it was going to be, if I knew it was going to be so fun, I would have had like ten of them out by now. You know, because when we made the movie way back in the day, it was that was it, one and done. We moved on to the next project, you know, and then we did Probably the thought nothing project. more of it. Yeah, you know, and then we did the Snapper project, and then. We uh we have we start we kept writing. Mark and I love to write together. We just uh, we get a lot of excitement just you know sitting at the typewriter. We do it all over. Uh, we use Final Draft now, uh, which is collaborative. So he can be at home, I can be at home, and then we FaceTime each other, and it's like being in the same room. And we we don't have to travel. We used to have to travel. Like I would go, he would come an hour, and I would go an hour. Cause he at one point lived in the North of Massachusetts and I still lived in central mass. So we used to meet halfway. Uh, so about maybe 40 minutes each way at a hotel and we would sit in the lobby, get a couple, you know, sodas or whatever and some food. And we would just sit there for three or four hours and write, get in our cars and go back home our separate ways. You know, this was probably in the little bit before the internet, you know, it was the internet was there, but, it wasn't as, you know, you can't FaceTime. You, Nobody it, knew how to use it. It didn't have the collaborative features that we have now. Like even like sure. using this type of program, you know, it's, it's amazing what we can do now that we couldn't do in a short period ago, you know? Um, sure. Sure. You know, I, I was talking to my good friend, uh, Charles Lincoln. He's a, a New York city filmmaker yeah. and he had, a, he had a great point about remakes and sequels. Um, it feels like today's remakes are you know being done for films that didn't really need remakes. Uh, the originals were great. Um, when, when what we really need are remakes of films that were you know made with a lot of heart and great story, but maybe execution flaws or budgetary reasons gave the film maybe a reason to be remade with more resources and maybe get the attention that it deserves. Right. So. Moving to Attack of the Kill Killer Refrigerator 2, this is a sequel to your own film. Do you feel like it was, did you feel like it was just time to revive it because of the, the possibilities we're afforded today? Or I, I guess I should just leave the question more open-ended. Like, What revived the refrigerator? You know what revived the refrigerator is that it really never had a decent, I mean, it was a fun movie, right? It's fun. Sure. People get eaten. It all ends unplug it done but it never really had a good story with some great characters and the refrigerator in the second movie just goes beyond i mean i i just can't wait to right now we're in the funding process and if anybody wants to get anywhere near a cool project put some cash down with some great i think going to be great rewards um we're at reach out to me, go to mediahousefilms.com, click an email, you will hear back from us. But the story itself takes it to a level that I don't think have, I've seen in any other type of movie, okay? It's an appliance movie, right? Mark and I like to say, we are the founder of appliance movies, okay? We started it, <laughs> the killer fridge. Now there's all kinds of refrigerator type appliance movies, you know? Um, the story in two, though, takes it to a level that 
I guarantee when you get done with it, you're going to be blown away. It is not your daddy's killer, your mom's killer refrigerator. It has the only thing the first one has, one is the same refrigerator, and two, it basically plays off the first movie. You know, in a nutshell, it's all about this character, Fred, who wins the original killer refrigerator movie prop online at an auction. And then during a house party, somebody plugs it in and it takes revenge. But it also goes on and takes it into a new world that horror fans are going to really like. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's so exciting. Mark and I already have three kind of written. Um, We're we're in the process of just sort of doing that we do. uh, We do index card writing where you, you make a scene for every index card and then you can move them around and you know fill them in so we are basically in that stage with this whole movie start to finish and i gotta get two made so i can get three made because i hate to say it but three is even better than two um in in what goes on it's just so great for the horror movie and it's not like it's not really yeah it's a sequel but it's not you know it's not like the only character that's the same is the refrigerator that's it. You know, there's, okay. there's no other characters that survive or even come back. Um, well, it sounds like this is kind of a meta type thing, a self-aware type of situation where the the original story was not um, a tragic murder, but a film that they were a fan of. Right. And then the, the, the second was like, well, it actually is a sentient object and <laughs> and you're going to die. Right. Am, no, am I following it, that right? You, you, yeah, you may have something there. You know, it does grow a personality, which doesn't really come out in the first one, you know, okay. because the first one is basically just an eating machine. He's, you know, we, uh, we say in the script that he's mad because we defrosted it, you know. So that's sort of where it comes through. But I think until you get a little bit more backstory, you get a little bit more, um, you get a lot more meat to the bone and well, it's a feature um, length and you get a lot of bone. What's that? And and it's a feature length. It's, it's not a 15 minute short film. It's going to no, be a it's feature. feature length. Mark and I, our first draft of the script was 140 minutes, 140 pages. Um, I have a friend who's in the business. She actually plays uh, the little, one of the little kids at the end who says, look, and now she is a huge, uh, producer and assistant producer on films of she just was down in atlanta doing some uh ap work a uh, good friend of mine a- andrea jamian i talked to her about it and she's like michael nobody wants to sit and watch a ni- 140 minute a killer refrigerator movie and i'm like but it's so good and it's it's it is, and it was you know we had so many great scenes and I took that to heart. I'm like, she's right. You know, and then, you know, the budget I had was astronomical. And she told me, you can't make this for anything more than $2 million. And she was right there, you know? So I'm trying to one, bring it in under $2 million. And two, we got it down to, I think we're at 97 pages from 140. It might be a little bit more. From you're looking at about a minute per page, right? You're looking that, at about a minute per thing. page, so about 97 uh, minutes. If, yeah. If uh, young screenwriters didn't didn't know that for whatever reason, that's kind of the rule of thumb. A one page of screenplay is about, or one one page of screenplay is about a minute on screen. 
Absolutely. Take- and you'll okay. have your variations depending on what's going on because, you sure. know, but that's the general rule. And so those are two things. So it is feature length. Um, it has, it, it's a great story. It's, it's, I call it the Indiana Jones of the horror movies where once you get on that horse and start riding, it just doesn't stop. And, um, and like I said, it comes out with new characters that have never been seen before on TV. Well, tell me about that. I, w- I was going to ask you about your cast. Oh gosh. Well, well who, it, who, who do we it, have in place? We're looking, well, we only have two adults in the whole movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Linnea Quigley is, Oh, um, Linnea Quigley is one of the people that we're want to get for the movie. We've always loved Linnea. We've loved all her films. She actually, yeah. Did you see her? I don't know if you saw her in the uh, media house films, The Frosted, but she had all these Attack of the Killer Refrigerator stickers on her at one point in the booth. Um, it was a little behind the scenes section there. Um, but Linnea Quigley would be one. Um, we don't know if we can afford anybody more than that. You know, um, we're going to sure. look for some younger characters. Mainly it's all... 1920 somethings they're supposed to play high school kids but we have to sure. keep them over 18 because we do want to have a little alcohol showing during the party scene not a ton we want to come out we want to come out with our own beer called snapper beer um so that's what we want to focus on a little bit and then we're gonna we're looking for power drink uh sponsors to be the other beverage of choice at the party scene um we're, we're looking at all kinds of ways of funding it but um it, um, I just had a brain freeze. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're basically going to cast a, a, a oh the a cast veteran, that's right a, a well, veteran a veteran actor with one veteran with some maybe unheralded. Yeah, that's pretty much what we got right now. We discussed maybe Danny Trejo as just a figurine in the horror business. You know, we sure. do have a role he could play. Um, he loves, but he says, I think it's in his contract that he has to get killed at the end of every movie. He won't get killed <laughs> in this movie. Um, but he would play a very gruesome teacher. We have one scene where we set up most of the cast in the school um, that promotes this big party that's coming on at the end of the week. And it's uh, we, that would be it. But there's there's room for some really good young talent. I, I the characters in this are deep and they're and they're funny and they have a lot of go- lots going on you know there's conflict there's drama there's a little bit of love going on too you know um and i'm not going to say where um it's great opportunity for a good young actress or actor i do have some people in mind um they're influencers uh, on social media. Um, they're people who are not afraid to do crazy things on social media. You know, I sure. follow them. I It's not a traditional route. You know, not everybody's thinking that way. But some of the characters that I follow on my own feeds that I like because they're either an actress or let's say they might be an actress model type. Um show their personalities through that and in that regard you could sort of get a sense of yeah they'll be good for this role i definitely would want them to audition before i made any final decisions but i do have some cast 
And one of my selling points is the cast. <laughs> it's kind of funny. My Mark always, he laughs when I brought this up. You know, if, you, if you're in the killer refrigerator too, you can have a summer worth of horror conventions every year. You know, going signing little, hey, here's my picture, you know. They're all there. It, I, well, you know, uh, th we've had a, a lot of really good, talented, independent filmmakers uh, on on slasher sports cinema. And, you know, when, when you said that uh, you, the influencer uh, situation, I'm thinking, you know, some of the guys that, that I've talked to, like a, a Jessa Flux, uh, Dixie Gers would be great. She's coming on next week, man. We, you, you could, you could put so many people in this scenario and get a lot of fun out of it because your story is that absurd and it is that great. And it's exactly what we sign up for when we come for indie horror, man. And I, a killer appliance, sign me the fuck up, man. Oh, it goes, like I said, it's just a great time. Um, I love, I read the script probably a hundred times. I read it. Every time we submit it to some somebody, I'll read it again as a first reader. You know what I mean? Sure. Just I'll say, oh, I'm the first reader now, and I'll read it through. And and I just get, I, I like it. I get turned on by it. It's kind of fun. You know, it keeps you moving. There's some great lines. There's some humor. There's some jokes. There's some horror. There's a lot of horror. There's some great guts and blood and uh, cool gore scenes that we've created. Um, the, re the refrigerator, not only does he eat, people but he he's uh his ice box is like a an arsenal of different weapons and it's a lot of fun you know a lot of fun we just got to get the people behind to make it so if you need if you want to be a part of something cool reach out to me and and that brings me to like the original funding campaign didn't go as hoped so right. what is the backup plan where are, are we going uh well, the backup plan right now time is, in it? yeah we we've actually the backup plan is to do what we originally were planning on doing is just getting funding of people that are interested in the arts. You know, we have a bunch of people in New England here that support the arts and different projects. And yes, this is not your normal project, but what it does have that other projects don't have are, is legs. You know, it has a worldwide audience. It has reviews from Variety. It is, num you know, it has all of these little accolades. I mean, uh, my my nephew was reading Percy Jackson book and boom, he sent me a picture of the bottom of the text of uh, mentions of the killer refrigerator in the Percy Jackson book. And so it has a lot of interest. I mean, just the Blu-ray DVD alone is quickly selling out. Um, there's a limited edition version up there. And every time I go to check the count, it just drops by 20s and 30s. So there is a lot of interest in this type of movie. Um it's not the best movie you're ever going to see. Just look at some of the reviews. But it is fun. Um, as a couple of people have said, you know, it's mindless. It it's, doesn't take a lot of time. And if it was any longer, it probably wouldn't be very, well, it's not that it's good now, but wouldn't be very <laughs> good, you know? Um, but that's the uh, thing about horror, man. Like, bad horror is better than bad any other genre. You're right. We, we we almost want it to be bad, but we don't want it to be like my good friend Ben Johnson told me. He's uh he's a director of uh, the upcoming Cur uh, Curse of the Weird Deer, a trauma entertainment film. He uh he told me something that, you know, was it was profound, accidentally profound probably, but he said that 
filmmakers who make a film purposely bad, you're, you're missing the point. The filmmakers who make a film that turns out bad only because of budgetary reasons and absurdity and it's but it's but it's made with heart it is made with 100 percent heart like you know the difference you know the effort that was put in and a film like this i can tell man it's it's made with a lot of heart and it's going to come out exactly the way you want it to and we're going to have a lot of fun watching it oh yeah yeah no you definitely will you know it is it is i i was hoping to be shooting this summer and now I'm just going to be kicking in more into fundraising. You know, the Kickstarter campaign was, it was tough. You know, I, I definitely know what went wrong in, in our, in our side of things. You know, I thought we, maybe we, I think Kickstarter is not something that you're going to spend a lot of money. They're not going to raise a, a boatload of dough unless you're a game or some kind of little cool little puzzle piece or something. They seem sure. to get the big money. Um, there's not many films that were getting $2 million to make, you know, and, and it's, it, it sounds like a lot of money, but you need that kind of money to put something decent on the screen, you know, to hire a decent gaffer, to hire a decent electric that's going to show up every day. You know, that's sure. what you want. You know, you don't want to say, well, you know, I, um, you only pay me a hundred bucks a day. I got this guy, he's paying me 600 a day. I'm, I can't make it today. You know, and, and when you get that, that's when your levels of quality start to go down, you know. Um, oh, the camera operator. Yeah, you know, I just got off. So I want to be able to pay these guys so they show up every day. So we get that consistency within the look of the film. So, you know, so that the gaffer is with me the whole time. And and the DP is excited about the project. And the special effects guy has, you know, five gallons of blood that he needs you know, or, and, you know, or prosthetics, you know, trying to get a, a mold of somebody's face that we want to blow off their head, you know, with well, and, the greatest you know, ability spine wiggle in between, you know, it's, uh, it costs money. Yeah. And well, the greatest ability is availability. And when you, you start a project with, with XYZ guy and you have to end a project with one, two, three guy, the continuity, the the familiar, familiarity, almost the, the momentum that you built up is kind of, you know, the, the, the wind's taken out of your sails, I guess. And when you could start with the same cast and crew that you end with, man, that's that that's harmony right there. And as, as much of a clusterfuck as this film's going to be, because it is a purposeful clusterfuck, it is a, a clusterfuck that we're going to have a lot of fun with. And... Killer appliances, man. They should be on the rise. They should be I on the agree. rise. Well, we we definitely will be after two because we, it, it, like I said, it just opens up a whole thing. But you're right about that. You know, you got to have the consistency. And you're talking, you know, we're talking about a 40 day shoot, so that's a lot of time. And I I want to go consistent right through to the end if we can. You know, I don't want to break it up. Um, I want to go because I could post it no problem. I mean, that's. Posting is sort of my forte. I have some top of the line equipment now that I use for my day to day job. I got a couple edit suites. I got everything I need. You know, I cut that whole trailer, did actually everything on it music, sound, foley, everything. Um, because, you know, I think we spent 
we spent about 1800 bucks on that trailer and that was to basically see what you saw you know some yeah. special effects on the refrigerator the teeth coming out you know um few other things that you know the house rental oh that was expensive they charge us 65 dollars a person so you had you know 20 people on a crew that adds up quick you know yeah yeah it does and well you know let, let's let's talk about this then like how can we the viewing audience help make this film a reality well other than you know the going to kickstarter which we don't have i would just say you know look for people that want to invest See if you have if you have a rich uncle that's always been wanting to be in the film business. You know who are very big into film? Dentists. Dentists are want to invest, you know, and and this one you'll definitely get your money back because we do have right now we have a couple, well, we have our main distrib distributor right now who's doing the Blu-ray. I'm sure they will be more than happy to pick up the killer fridge too, you know. So distribution would be there. But we also think that we would be it would make a good theatrical release because of the title. It's the log line all by itself. You know, you know what the movie's about just by reading it. Um, so reaching out to us, you know, if you want to invest, we'll talk to you. We'll, we'll make you part of the, the media house brand. You know, we'll put it under uh, an attack of the killer refrigerator to LLC. You'll be part of that. And, um, reap the rewards. You know, there's a lot of merchandising and different things that we have planned. I mean, just the characters alone. Oh, we're having these cool little um, Scott Andrews who did the turtle, uh, little turtles. We didn't talk about any of the other movies, but he made these small little turtles and a big turtle for us. He made me a three, six inch killer refrigerators with the teeth. The door is open. Oh, wow. It's pretty cool. We're going nice. to, we're going to put one on our website, but this guy, uh, Scott, used to sculpt for McFarlane and many other big model makers back in the day. So I would go over his place. He'd have a, you know, an alien predator made out of clay. Unbelievable. Like, you wouldn't believe how good this looked. And now he's doing all kinds of 3D stuff, um, working with printer, 3D printers. And that's what he made this one with, this 3D printer. Really expensive, but very cool. So that's kind they can of do some, they can do some wild shit with those 3D printers. They can. They some can wild and stuff. Well, I was even asking him, I'm like, is it possible to make one that's a full size, you know, refrigerator? So I didn't have to like I have Brandon, he's our special effects guy. He's making them out of like because they're you know, we don't we're calling it like the Bruce fridge because there are certain shots you don't need the full fridge. You might need the back of the fridge. You might need the side. You might only need the top half of the fridge, you know, to do sure. something. Um, so in my mind and in our plan, we have what we call the Bruce fridges, you know, from the Bruce shark, Bruce, um, where, you know, there's a half a fridge, a quarter fridge, side fridge, this fridge, you know, whatever the shot calls for or whatever the special effect is needed. That's all we'll really need you know we have a i was even thinking boy i wonder if i can make one out of those you know the uh mascot suit material where it had yeah. a little bit more because you can make them look kind of shiny because our uh, pirate guy he has a shiny belt you know and it's still that material and i was like oh geez i wonder if that's possible for from some of the scenes where because he contorts a little bit he moves a little bit um 
I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, so these are all these different things that you think about to try to bring it in under budget, you know, but, um, you know, the special effects, it's, uh, it's definitely part of the game and just having the, you know, having the money to be able to pull them off is key because I don't want to have to result to sandwich bags like we did with the original fridge, you know, or, you know, that's basically what it was, sandwich bags and ragu. Even though Tom Savini thought it was good enough to show in his class for a while. Um, well, you know, listen, if you get Tom Savini's seal of approval, you've done something. I think, but guys, <laughs> the, the, you, you think about who, like, uh, who's who of who you want giving you props. It doesn't get any better than Tom Savini. No, no. Tom, I, um, I was in the same space as him once, never got to talk to him, but he was, um, we have a, we used to have a big place up here called Spooky World. They moved it to Gillette Stadium, but it used to be near me. And um, it was the premiere at the time, one of the first in the country to have this huge horror, you know, hayride situation. Um, over the years, I've had cocktails with like Kane Hodder and yeah, uh, Eddie Munster. Um, we went to a Chinese restaurant once and got totally obliterated because um, <laughs> he was making an appearance there. And we knew, you know, we used to hang around with all the special effects guys. So we knew all these people. So uh, Scott was actually bringing us all these, you know, Kane Hodder and the, the Eddie Munster types. And there was uh, one other guy, I can't remember uh, his name, who came with us. Um, but we had some fun back then. But but back then it was all like um, just, you know, horror was was starting out. It was not starting out, but the spooky world was, you know, starting out. I'm sure there's hay rides everywhere now. Um, but back then there was only this one big one and it was kind of fun. We got the killer fridge to play there once and, you know, it was, it was a pretty good time. Pretty good. Well, guys, listen, you heard him. We're gonna, You're going to find all the links to uh, Mike Savino and how to help out this project in the episode description to this very episode. So, Mike, before we slide into the gag reels, you want to tell everybody where they can find your work? Go to MediaHouseFilms.com and um, you'll find all kinds of stuff there. Um, everything about the originals, all the cool little stuff that, you know, it has popped up over the years. You'll also see a little bit more about the hook and the snapping turtle movie called uh, Snapper. And uh, John Campobiano, he's a documentary filmmaker. He created a cool little documentary filmmaking, uh, a documentary film about it. And it's really interesting. Won a bunch of awards in the festival circuit a couple of years ago. So um, that's pretty cool, too. But go there, MediaHouseFilms.com. You'll find everything. I have to update it. Still has our Kickstarter information. But I will do that as soon as we get off here. Uh, so you'll see all fresh information. We do keep it up. But one thing you'll find, if you write an email to us, you'll get a response. Right, Bill? That is a that is that <laughs> is a fact. Sometimes. I'm here to I'm I'm here to tell you you're gonna get a response. Or a phone call not, even. It, you might get a phone call in the middle of your work day and <laughs> you, you just have to put everybody on hold and say, This is Billy. 
I didn't mean this is Billy. I meant this is who, whatever your name is. That's that's what I meant to say. But guys, this is going to do it for this episode of Slasher Sports Cinema. Make sure to check out our other shows in the Slasher Sports family. That's Suki's Honeydew Project, Slasher U, the OK Baseball Podcast. And then come back next week to Slasher Sports Cinema because I'm going to be joined by a gal whose name you've heard a lot on this show. She's Dixie Gers. She's coming to tell us about some sweet projects she has going on. So for the good people at Media House Films, that would be Mike Savino and the aforementioned Mark Vo. I am Billy Graves. And I wish you all to be victorious in all that you do. And may you drink the blood of your enemies from the skulls of their children. Oh, I like that.